someone commented uh, about what happens when you are stopped at a red light. Have you ever been waiting in your car at a red light or shopping? Perhaps you're at a Wawa or somewhere else and you've been asked for money by what appears to be a person in need. What did you do? Did you help? Did you squirm with discomfort and apologize that you just don't have any cash or change on you? I'm sure many of us have been in this position many times, and if you're anything like me, you, you fight that inner battle every single time between wanting to help and feeling resentful at the same time. After all, I, I can't afford to help everyone who asks. Isn't that what you say? Or think? And how do I know that they're going to spend it on food? What if they actually spend it on drugs or alcohol? If I help, I feel the judgment of others who believe I'm just enabling someone's addiction or laziness. If I don't help, I feel the weight of guilt. The inevitable discomfort of either decision might just cause me to pretend that I don't even see that person in need, convincing myself that if I don't notice them, then my conscience is off the hook. Deep down, we, we know this isn't true, but the inner struggle that we experience every time we are faced with the inconvenience of, of, of compassion is very real. This inner struggle is common for all of us. And we see this, in a sense, as we continue looking at our parables in God's Word. We'll be looking at one of the most common parables known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and this is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verse 25, and I would encourage you to open up your Bibles with me. Uh, we'll be looking again at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, found on page 1035 in the church Bibles, 1035, and I'd ask you to follow along as I read, starting at verse 25, we'll be reading through verse 37, please follow along. This is God's holy, his true, infallible, and life-giving and life-transforming word. Again, Luke chapter 10, starting verse 25. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, 
who was on the journey, came up upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. May the Lord bless the reading hearing and obeying of his holy word. Would you please pray with me? Oh, Father God, we we come before you giving you thanks and praise for it is this day that you have set aside that we gather as your people to worship you, to receive your word, to cast our prayers and praises before you. And now we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to hear your word understand your word, and obey your word. May you be glorified, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we begin looking at God's word this morning, we we get to see questions and answers with Jesus. Wouldn't it be great uh, if you had that opportunity to, to stand before Jesus and have a time of questions and answers with Jesus? And this is the situation Uh, that we look at this morning at God's Word. It begins with what our English translations say is a lawyer having a conversation with Jesus. I believe that most people, at least in the United States, when we think about uh, a lawyer, we might think about a criminal lawyer or a civil lawyer, uh, but that is not who was coming upon Jesus in in our passage this morning. He is, in fact, rightly called a lawyer uh, because he was a so-called expert in the law, but not the civil or criminal law. He was a so-called expert in the Old Testament law. He was a scripture lawyer, so to speak. He was one who specialized in interpreting the Old Testament law and applying the teachings uh, in in particular to established rabbis. Uh, And some have identified him as a scribe, and either way it would be clear that he was a religious man who knew God's law. And we might think of him today as a professor at a seminary who in many ways uh, was supposed to be an expert in God's word, the Bible, like like Tim Whitmer was at Westminster. So we, we see this in our passage that this expert in God's law, he stands up and he tries to put Jesus to the test. Now I remember years ago when I was put to the test in this particular situation. I was an outsider from the Philadelphia region who attended Westminster Theological Seminary, and I was being examined for licensure and ordination in the Heartland Presbytery in Kansas. I was an outsider. I had an accent. I didn't know I had an accent, by the way, Uh, but I had an accent, and and I was also one who didn't go to Covenant Theological Seminary, which was the denomination seminary that Pastor Mike attended. You know, I went to Westminster, so I was an outsider. They examined me, and they put me to the test by asking me lots and lots of questions. Uh, but despite my discomfort, this was actually a very good thing. They, they wanted to make sure that I had a proper 
understanding of God's word and that I was fit to be a pastor in the Presbyterian Church in America. And thankfully, by God's good grace, I passed the test. Uh, and this, this is good testing that needs to take place in order to protect God's church and his pulpit. This, this expert in the law, in our passage this morning, some would call a scribe. He, he stood up and he was putting Jesus to the test. And we cannot be positive about uh, the motivations of this so-called lawyer, but we see him from our text that he is putting Jesus to the test. Perhaps he was trying to examine Jesus to see if he was one of the good guys, or was he an outsider? This lawyer could have also been like the Pharisees in other parts of the Gospels who tried to trip up Jesus by asking difficult questions. Um, we see this in Matthew chapter 22, for instance, where the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Of course, Jesus answered the question perfectly, and they left him alone for the time being. At this point in the conversation, however, between the lawyer and Jesus, we're, we're not sure exactly about his motivations, uh, but he was putting Jesus to the test. The lawyer addresses Jesus as teacher or rabbi, and that would have been uh, appropriate as Jesus was seen teaching in the synagogues and other places in the region, uh, though Jesus didn't have any formal uh, training to be a, a teacher or a rabbi. Uh, although the lawyer addressed Jesus respectfully as teacher, Jesus was much more than that, wasn't he? As we see this so-called lawyer asked Jesus a, a kind of testing question. And this, this lawyer's testing question was, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What should I do to inherit eternal life? This question may sound slightly familiar to you, maybe, because it's somewhere else in the gospel. Uh, someone else asked Jesus this question later on in the gospel of Luke chapter 18. And in, this, in that situation, uh, it was a rich young ruler. He comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It is a good question, and it's important for us to, to know it, in fact, it is okay, in fact, to ask good questions. It's good to ask God questions. Uh, he already knows what we're thinking anyway, so why not just express it verbally to him? If you have a question, go to God and ask him. The question of how to have eternal life is a question that each one of us should be wrestling with if you have not wrestled with it already. This was the essence of what the religious expert in this law, this lawyer, wanted to know, or, or maybe he was just wanting to know if Jesus knew the answer. We don't know for sure, but we can say that it was a good question. It seemed like a sincere question, maybe, maybe not. And as many teachers would say, there are no questions that are bad questions as long as they are sincere questions. Because Jesus is much more than a teacher. He is, in fact, God the Son. And so Jesus knows the lawyer's heart. He knew his motivation. He also knows the, the lawyer's motivation for asking the question. And what we see next is how Jesus answered the question. Jesus answered the lawyer's question with another question. Jesus answered 
the question with another question. Some of you get, may, may get frustrated by that. If some, you know, you're asking somebody a question, they just ask you a question right back. No, I want the answer. But, and and it's actually, it was a, a way that people talked back then. It was appropriate. It wasn't being snarky or anything. Instead of just giving the lawyer the answer, he, in turn, is testing the lawyer himself by asking him a question. Jesus said to him, well, what is written in the law? You're the lawyer. What is written in the law? He is putting it back on this scribe, this expert in law, and says, what does it say in God's law? In fact, he asks the lawyer two questions. The first is, what is written in the law? And the second is, how does it read to you? How do you understand it? Jesus was asking this scribe to tell him what is written in God's law about having eternal life and how does he understand this. Jesus was pointing this religious expert in the law to go, go back to God's law and see what it says. Don't ask me. This is very good application for us, brothers and sisters. If you have a question, go to God's word and see what it says. We should always go to God's word and see what it says and then apply it to our lives. What we see next in verse 27 is what I think the lawyer's proud yet correct answer. It's what I think is the lawyer's proud yet correct answer. It appears that this lawyer was really just delighted to show off his wonderful knowledge of the scriptures, of, of God's law. After all, he was a lawyer, a, a scribe, an expert in the law. He does not even appear to hesitate, and I believe full of pride, he quotes portions of God's law. He answers Jesus saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You can just see him very proudly saying, yeah, I know that. I know the scriptures. This lawyer seems so pleased with himself to show off what he knew. This, this very religious expert in the law, he quotes one of the most famous passages even for Jews today. It's right after what is called the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which, which I learned in, in, uh, in seminary, Westminster Seminary in Hebrew, where it says, Shema Israel, Adonai, Elohenu, Adonai, Echad. Translated means, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And immediately after that, we see in verse 5 is this command that the lawyer quotes, saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And it continues in verse 6 and says, these words, these commands, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them down on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Do you think God wants us to know his law? He wanted to make sure we were saturated with God's law. It was always part of our life. It was actually embedded into our homes, right? Religious people took this very seriously, almost literally, right? When we lived in, in Kansas, my wife and I, when we were out in Kansas, we were uh, in the process of building a new church building. 
and we needed, the church needed to rent some office space, and so we were checking out one of the offices for rent there, and uh, when we went in, we were looking at the doorways, and each of the doorways had this decorative uh, case on, right next to the doorpost, and inside, I was like, this is interesting, it looked like Hebrew words on the, on the outside, and, um, and I looked at the inside, and sure enough, there's Hebrew scriptures, and these people were taking this seriously, people they want, they're saying, well, God says we're supposed to put them on our doorposts. We're supposed to... So we, we see that even today. Religious Jews at least see this part of this command seriously by writing God's law on their doorposts. And so we see in our passage this morning that this expert in the law was clearly showing how religious that he appeared to be as well by quoting Deuteronomy. And, he, and we see that he also quotes part of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which Pastor Mike read earlier, which says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This religious expert in the law appeared to be very confident, at least in his head knowledge, of God's law as he responded to Jesus. And perhaps to the lawyer's surprise, Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Maybe he kind of went, yeah, I know. I know know him right. But even more of a surprise was what Jesus said next. After affirming his correct answer, we see the command of Jesus. The command of Jesus to the lawyer was, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. How could this expert in the law argue that? It was, after all, God's commands that Jesus was telling him he must obey, Jesus was saying, do these commands from God's law to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was telling the religious expert in the law that this was what he needed to do in order to inherit eternal life. Jesus said, do this and you will live. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was being tested another time and was asked, Teacher, what, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus, instead of answering a question with a question, he actually answered him with an answer this time. It was the same answer that our lawyer gave in our passage today. Jesus said, he quotes Deuteronomy and Leviticus. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. If the lawyer had truly examined his life, he would see, just like us, that we have failed miserably in keeping these commandments. It is God's law that shows us. When we look at God's law, when we open it up, it shows us that we are sinners and that we fall short of keeping God's law. In God's word, in in James chapter 2, verse 10, it says that for whoever keeps the whole law but fails at just one point has become guilty of all of it. God's law acts as a mirror to show us that we are sinners and that to show us that we cannot keep the law. God's law is given to us to point us to Jesus as the only one who can keep the law all of God's law, all the time, perfectly. 
And yet this lawyer, who is supposedly an expert in God's law, appears to believe that he has loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. In fact, we see that this lawyer tried to justify himself. The lawyer was using judicial language, trying to justify himself. The lawyer was trying to declare himself innocent of any wrongdoing and to declare himself right before the eyes of God. And so the lawyer asked Jesus a justifying question. And in trying to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? He presumed already. So he, he presumed to love the Lord as God perfectly. And now he is trying to prove that he, he does love his neighbor as himself. In verse 30 of our passage, we see that Jesus answers the lawyer's question with a parable. doesn't actually use the word parable in our text, but Jesus answers the lawyer's question with a parable, uh, which is one of the most commonly told parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so this, this parable is, is perhaps, again, one of the most recognized stories in the Bible, and yet it is also often the most un- misunderstood parables. Many people... Uh, Even religious people want to merely moralize this parable, saying that we just need to be good and helpful to people in need, and the world will be a better place. Just be tolerant of people. Just love one another. Cuckoo-cachoo, you know. It's going to be wonderful. That is not what the passage is saying. That is not the reason that Jesus shared this parable. Jesus shared this parable in the context of of speaking with this religious expert in law, asking the question about how can I inherit, or what, what can I do about inheriting eternal life? The parable begins in verse 30, though, by Jesus sharing this story about a man in real need. A story about a man in real need. And it's a story that they seem, seem very familiar to us if we ever watch the news. Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. The, the story that Jesus shares is a story that, that we have seen and heard and read about in our news over and over and over again, not necessarily about something happening near Jerusalem, but stuff that's happening near us in our cities throughout the world. But as Jesus was telling the story to this religious expert in the law, that religious expert would have also known of this kind of thing happening right there in Jerusalem. It is said uh, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a notoriously dangerous road. Jerusalem is, is uh, at 2,300 feet above sea level, the Dead Sea near Jericho, stood uh, 1,300 feet below sea level, so then is, uh, you know, somewhat less than 20 miles apart from each other, this road drops 3,600 feet. It, it was a very narrow and rocky road with all kinds of switchbacks, which made it the happy honey ground of robbers and thieves. In the 5th century, Jerome tells us this, this was called the Red or the Bloody Way because of the violence on that road. In the 19th century, it was, it was necessary to pay safety money to the local sheiks before one could travel on it. They would protect you. In the 
uh, as late as the early 30s, 1930s, people were warned to get home before dark if they intended to use this road because there was always a threat of, of people holding up these cars by, by robbing them and, and whatnot. And they would just escape into the hills before the police could arrive. When Jesus told this story, he was telling about a kind of thing that was constantly happening on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as Jesus began telling this story, he mentions that there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus does not tell us any more about who this man is or what he was doing while he was traveling to Jericho. Jesus never mentions whether the man was Jewish or Samaritan or any other description of his ethnicity, just a man. I believe that Jesus did this for a reason. He was telling this religious Jew, a story about a man with a real need. Another human being made in the image of God had been robbed and beaten and was in desperate need of help. And Jesus continues with this story with the lawyer listening intently, waiting to see who's going to help this man in need, to, to help or not to help. That is the question here. Perhaps like the question we are asked when someone like a homeless person asks us for money, to help or not to help? That's the question. Jesus continued with his story, and by chance, a, a priest was going down the road. But before we go any further, we see Jesus state, by chance. It's interesting hearing Jesus say, by chance, that this priest was going down the road. This, this word, by chance, can and mean by accident or coincidence. But Jesus was not affirming that things happen by chance or coincidence, but sometimes that it, that's how it seems to us, to the one it happens to. The reality is that God is the one who puts people together for a reason, for a purpose. Every time that you go out and, quote, bump into someone else, remember that God is behind it all. It is said that God's providential arrangement of circumstances, all achieving his eternal purposes in each scene of life that you're in. We might ask ourselves, why did God arrange for me to, quote, bump into this person? Well, we need to ask those questions, don't we? I often think, why did God bring that person to my mind? I should be praying for that person. Or when I see someone I haven't seen in years, why did you do that, Lord? Maybe they have a need that you can help with, even if it's not an apparent need. Yet in this story, Jesus is telling the lawyer he is clearly trying to make a point when he says that by chance a priest was going down on the same road, and he saw this man in desperate need. What would he do? Would he help or would he not help? The priest certainly knew God's law. Why wouldn't he love his neighbor as himself? Certainly this priest would have wanted someone to stop and help him if he was in need, right? Yet Jesus said that this priest, this religious Jewish leader, saw the man in need, and yet he passed by on the other side. The priest passed up the opportunity to help, an opportunity that God had placed in his life. There's been a lot of ink spilled speculating as why this priest uh, did not help the man passing by the other side. Some theologians said that maybe the priest thought that the man was already dead, 
And then that priest could cite Old Testament law in Numbers chapter 19, verses 11 through 13, that says, whoever touches the body of a dead person shall be unclean for seven days, and whoever touches a dead person and does not cleanse himself defies the tabernacle of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from Israel. So that's a good reason. You don't want to touch a dead person and be unclean. I'm a priest, however. Um, you know, I need to be at church. The, 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 these theologians were trying to justify these priests passing by on the other side and not helping. And others say, no, he walked on the other side because the robbers, he thought maybe the robbers were nearby and that might happen to him. He didn't want the same, the same thing happening to him. Still others say they thought maybe the priest was just too busy. He had an appointment in Jericho and he didn't want to be late. There's all kinds of excuses that, that we can give. He didn't want to be bothered or inconvenienced and so he passed by on the other side. People have come up with all kinds of excuses, haven't they, to try and justify the behavior of the priest. Whatever the reasons, we see that this religious priest did not stop to help. Next, Jesus says, likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Jesus describes this other man as a Levite, not a priest. There's, there is a significant distinction. You, you could be a priest if you were from the tribe of Levi, but not all Levites were priests. But as we learn uh, in Numbers chapter 3, Levites were, were called to attend to the needs of the priests, and they ministered at the tabernacle itself. Historically, the Levites were the ones who helped the priests in doing the ministry. And, and we might think today that that these Levites would have been like our modern-day deacons in the church today uh, who are called to especially care for the physical needs of others. So he's sort of going, oh, well, here's a, here's a Levite. He's certainly going to help, right? So Jesus says that this Levite also sees the man in need. And in fact, our, our passage says that he comes to the place where the man is. I mean, he doesn't just look and go, uh, he might be dead. Now he goes, uh, and he, he goes over and he, and he checks it out. He seems to venture a little closer and investigates what's going on with this man who's been robbed and beaten and stripped, yet the result is the same. This Levite passes by on the other side. Why didn't this Levite help him? One can only conjecture. There are those who thought that this Levite may have thought that the man was robbed and beaten, uh, had it coming to him. You know, this guy's over there, he, Obviously, if this happened to him, he deserves it. Uh, or, or if that man were smart, he, he wouldn't be traveling down that road by himself, some say. Others believing in a type of karma, thinking that he must have done something wrong or that wouldn't have happened to him. These are all horrible thoughts that we should never have and terrible ways to try and justify this Levite for not helping this man in need. Yet today... People are also resistant to help others in need. People may not want to help out of fear that this could happen to them. And believe it or not, people are also resistant to help because they fear they might be sued if they helped. Did you know that? This is why there are good Samaritan laws established to protect the person who tries to help another person in need. There are times that when a person helps another person, that person who is hurt and get more hurt in the attempt, and then that person decides to sue the Good Samaritan. It's a horrible situation. That's why they now have 
these Good Samaritan laws, to, to encourage people to step up, to get involved and help people in need. Well, as Jesus continued with his story, we see that there were actually two extraordinary responses. There were two extraordinary responses to this man in need. The, the response of the priests and the Levite were extraordinary because it was not what we would have expected them to do, was it? These are the religious guys. They should have known better. They knew God's word. One would have thought that the religious priest and the Levite would have stepped up and helped out this man in, desperate, in his desperate situation. They were supposed to be the religious leaders who, who they would have thought been the first ones to set the example of having compassion and love for their neighbor in need. As Jesus continues with his story, we see yet another extraordinary response to this man in need. Jesus said, but a Samaritan. But a Samaritan. Right there and then, you might see this lawyer's jaw drop and his eyes widen as Jesus says this, thinking to himself, what do you mean, but a Samaritan? You know, Jews believe that the Samaritans were were foreigners at best. The Samaritans came into being through the intermarriage with those of the apostate northern tribe of Israel. And this hatred that Jews had among the Samaritans is also seen in the Gospel of John chapter 4, when, when we see that Jesus had this encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well, where there was actually legislation that forbade Jews from eating or drinking with Samaritans. But despite the shock of hearing Jesus mention a Samaritan, the, the lawyer continues to listen to Jesus saying, but a Samaritan who was on the journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on that next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I return, I will repay you. The response was so extraordinary and unusual because this lawyer would not have expected Jesus to say that a Samaritan, this, this foreigner, would be the one who helped. It was shocking. The Samaritan didn't just call 911 and, and get the emergency responders to, to take over, like we could do today. No, Jesus showed the extraordinary love and compassion that the Samaritan had upon a stranger. He, he physically cared for him by offering him the best medical attention that he could at the time and then paid for his recovery at a local inn. He started off paying the innkeeper this two denarii. Remember, a Roman denarii was the equivalent of a day's wages. So it was a significant amount of money. And the Samaritan promised to pay the innkeeper even more if he had further need. The Samaritan didn't just pass by on the other side. He took of his time. He took of his energy. He took of his financial resources, and he helped this man out. And as the, the lawyer likely stood there in shock, listening to Jesus tell him this parable, there were even more questions and answers with Jesus. After sharing this story with a man, Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands. And Jesus asked the lawyer, who was the neighbor? Jesus only needed to ask who was the neighbor once. 
Look at the lawyer's answer. He didn't say the priest or the Levite. The lawyer responded by saying, the one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy. Why, why didn't he mention the Samaritan's name? Not his name, but Samaritan. Some would argue that he wouldn't even say the word Samaritan because of his hatred and his animosity towards Samaritans. Others say it was he was still in shock that a Samaritan would have been the one who showed mercy. And Jesus finished his conversation by saying, go and do likewise, or go and do the same. Go and do the same. This parable of the Good Samaritan is, is not just a moral story told by Jesus showing us that we should be just helping every person in need that we see. I believe that Jesus is showing this lawyer and us something so much more. I believe that Jesus was trying to show this religious lawyer that it is more than just knowing the right answer. It's more than just head knowledge, right? It is more than being able to recite chapter and verse in the Bible. Yet it is God's word here that shows us there is actually nothing that we can do to inherit eternal life. His question was, what can I do? I believe that Jesus was showing this lawyer and that he is showing us that there is nothing that we can do. We are, in essence, the man. We are the man that was robbed and stripped and beaten and left half dead. There is nothing that this man was able to do to save himself, nothing. And just like you and me, we are in desperate need for a savior. Because of our sin, we are considered as dead and need someone to give us a new life. Jesus is the one who has traveled from heaven to the earth to see our desperate need. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, us. He alone is able to perfectly obey the law of loving God and loving others. Jesus is the one who came and saw us in our desperate need. He alone is the one who heals our broken heart. He alone is the one who has paid the penalty for our sin when he went to the cross and died for you and me. He alone is the one who saw our nakedness and clothed us in his righteousness. He alone is the one who gives us faith to believe in the one who gives you eternal life. He alone is the one who has shown us mercy. And now, as we respond to Jesus, we need to say thank you. We need to show our gratitude to Jesus by, by saying thank you for your mercy and then extending that mercy to others, showing them that Jesus is the perfect one, but that we are to show people mercy as well. And so we need to be reminded that Jesus is that good shepherd. We are that one who was left dead on the road. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. And we praise you that you did not leave us alone. Lord, that you did not pass by the other side. Lord, that you, you came down to this earth, Lord. That you came to seek and to save us, to give us new life. We pray, Lord, that we would see that mercy. We would understand your compassion. That we give you thanks and praise for what you have done for us. And Lord, that we would respond in thanks. That we would show people, Jesus, the one 
who gives mercy. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.